Good morning. My name is Nick Swan. I'm the associate pastor here at Grace. And before we get started, I have one brief announcement. Uh, This past Sunday, we had elections for elders and deacons, and I'm pleased to announce that the congregation has elected four new officers. Uh, Patty Wee will be serving as a deacon. She is the treasurer of the church and a member of the finance committee. And Joe Shelley, Jason Carnes, and Dave Huffman will each be serving as elders, as members of the session. They'll be serving alongside Greg Gashler, Doug Reynolds, Marshall, and myself. These new officers are going to be ordained and commissioned on March 19th during our Sunday morning service. We're continuing our series on the Ten Commandments this morning, and we are covering the Sixth Commandment, You Shall Not Murder. title of our message this morning is Learning to Live by Grace, Giving Life to Others. Before we begin, let me, let me pray for us. Father, you are the Lord and giver of life. Help us to see the life that we have in Christ. And may we turn from taking life from others and instead give life to others out of the overflow of the life that you have given us in Christ. Speak to us this morning. Shape us this morning. Make us more and more like your son, Jesus Christ, this morning. We ask these things in his holy name. Amen. We live in a highly competitive culture. We are competing not necessarily for the same things, but we are all competing. We compete at work, vying for recognition and bonuses and promotions. We compete at school. We push ourselves to have the best resume and the best GPA possible. We compete as parents. We seek to give our children the leg up over other kids because we desire that they may excel and have success in life. We compete to appear put together. Our appearance, our emotional well-being, our spiritual well-being, our marital well-being, our financial well-being. This sense of Competition has only been intensified as we are more and more connected as a society. We have more visibility than any other human beings in all of human history. We see what others are doing all around our country, all around the world. And as we see them, we compare ourselves to them and we compete with them. It's by nature we are a competitive society that is constantly trying to surpass all of those around us. And there are a number of things that flow out of this Hyper-competitive mindset, covetousness. We see what everyone else has and we want what they have. Lying. Whether we lie to get ahead or we simply give the appearance that we are not, we are something other than what we actually are in order to compare well with others, we lie in order to give ourselves an edge in this competitive culture. Even murder. When others stand in our way and get in the way of what we want and what we think will make us happy, we take life from them with our words, with our actions, with our thoughts, and sometimes even literally. The illustration I use with my kids to describe this dynamic of competitive culture that we live in is the image of a mountain. The world always tells us that there is happiness at the top of the mountain. We're all trying to climb different mountains, but we're each trying to climb a particular mountain. And we think when we summit that mountain that we will be truly happy. But the nature of a mountain is that the higher you climb on that mountain, the narrower the mountain gets. And as that crowd grows, we have to do things that differentiate ourselves from those that are around us. And so we begin to push them down and we begin to climb over them because we need to get to the top. They are in the way, so we push them out of the way so that we can ascend to the summit. In order to get what we want, 
We often take lives from life from others. We hurt others in order to do so. Or as James 4 says it, which we read this morning, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. As we fight to climb the mountain, our selfish ambition, all of our worldly desires and our passions, our conceit and our arrogance, they take over and we begin to count ourselves as more important than those around us, looking out for our own interests rather than the interests of others. And it's this culture of self-interest and arrogance, selfish ambition, it gives birth to a culture of murder, of taking life rather than giving life. In the sixth commandment, God calls us to put others' lives and their success above our own. To promote life rather than to take it. Main point for this morning is this. Because we already have abundant life in Christ, we are free to give life to others rather than take it. The reason we fight to climb to the top of the mountain is because we believe that when we arrive, we will finally have abundant life satisfaction and peace but the mountain is a lie the truth is that the fighting never stops once you get to the top then you just got to compete to keep everyone else off of the top with you but the freedom that we have in Christ is that we no longer need to climb this mountain we no longer need to compete we have all of the life abundant life that we truly need in Christ and because we have it in Christ we are now free rather than to take life from others we're now free to give life to those that are around us. Because we already have abundant life in Christ, we are free to give life to others rather than to take it. Our first point this morning is this, the heart of the law, the heart of the law. When we read the Ten Commandments, we often skim over the Sixth Commandment. In theory, this should be a very easy sermon for me to preach. Public service announcement. Please do not murder anyone. I know it may feel good in the moment. There may be someone around you you may feel actually deserves it, but please don't do it. If you are seriously considering murdering someone, please see me after the service. On second thought, if you are genuinely thinking about murdering someone, please see Marshall Brown. That should be it. That's it. Let's pray. We're bring the band up. <laughs> it's so easy to see our sins of covetousness and lying and stealing, but we think with this commandment, we're finally in the clear. I've got at least one of these down. I have not yet killed someone around me. But as you've likely noticed in this series, the, the Ten Commandments, they go much deeper than we often think. They're so much deeper than the external compliance that we, at first blush, might assume about them. They're all about our hearts. They aren't simply about what's prohibited. They're also about what is required. We see Jesus establish, establishing this principle in Matthew 5, which is in your bulletin, and it says this. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. 
Jesus in these verses makes clear that the scope of the sixth commandment it far exceeds the simple act of murder. It includes all of the actions that tend towards the taking of life. In other words, murder isn't simply the literal taking of life. Murder is a matter of the heart. To be angry with another person is an act that breaks the sixth commandment because we are murdering them in our hearts. To insult another person because is, is, to, is to murder because we are murdering them with our words. This commandment ultimately encompasses the taking and giving of life in, both our, in all of our thoughts, words, and deeds. All right, with the sca- stage now set for the scope of this commandment, let's first look at what is forbidden by this commandment, the taking of life. So point number two, takers of life, takers of life. Exodus 20.13 says, you shall not murder. This verse gives us what is prohibited. We are not to take life. And then in your bulletin, I also included Genesis 9.6, which gives us the why of this commandment. Why are we not to take life? Genesis 9.6 says this, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Here's why murder in all of its forms and thought, word, and deed is a sin. It's sinful because it is an assault on the image of God in a fellow human being. To murder others with our thoughts, words, and deeds is to bring hurt or destruction to someone whom God has fearfully and wonderfully made. Someone who has dignity and worth because they are made in the image of God. To assault an image bearer of God is to assault the God in whose image they are made. It's for this reason that I am defining murder in this way. Murder is any thought, word, or deed that takes life from a fellow image bearer of God. Murder is any thought, word, or deed that takes life from a fellow image bearer of God. What might taking life look like in our daily lives. There are many ways that we may take life from fellow image bearers, but I've selected four for us to consider this morning. The first one is selfish ambition. Selfish ambition. Ambition is defined as a strong desire to do or achieve something typically requiring determination and hard work. Now, I want you to note that ambition in and of itself is not bad. We are made for ambition, but we are made for selfless ambition. Selfless ambition works to achieve these things for the glory of God and for the good of others, utilizing all of the God-given abilities at our disposal. That's what selfless, what godly ambition looks like. But selfish ambition, it's about us. It's about our glory. It's about our good. It's selfish ambition that leads us to place our own interests above others. And in so doing, we often assault the well-being of fellow image bearers of God. We may undermine others' reputations in order to get ahead. This may manifest itself through gossip or slander. We think we have to run other people down in order to elevate ourselves. We may choose to withhold credit where credit is due so that the credit may fall on us because it makes us look or feel better about ourselves. We may fail to disclose an opportunity that we know someone else is interested in because we want that opportunity for ourselves. We may choose to crush or to push aside another person that we believe is standing in the way of the thing that we want and that we deserve. 
If all else fails, we may lie or steal or cheat, hurting others in the process in order to get the object of our ambition. Selfish ambition says, do whatever it takes to achieve the desired outcome, regardless of who it hurts in the process. Living in this way is often justified, if not glorified, in our culture. It's the price of doing business. It's what it takes to be successful. But God in the sixth commandment condemns this way of living as a form of murder. Second is anger. Anger is defined as a strong feeling of annoyance, displeasure, or hostility. I'm well familiar with this one. Anger is an extension of our sense of justice that is displayed in our wrath. Anger manifests itself when things aren't how we want them to be, so we use our anger to get the desired outcome that we are seeking. Anger says, I want something, and I'm not getting what I want, so I'm going to use my wrath as a tool in order to intimidate you or hurt you so that you will give me what I want. An easy illustration of this is two children fighting over a toy. I'm sure we've all seen this. Child one is playing happily with a toy. Child two sees the toy, desires the toy, and goes and takes the toy. Child number one is angry at the grave injustice that has been perpetrated against them. This anger can manifest itself in a number of ways. Maybe child one is smaller or averse to conflict, so they seethe internally, hating the other child in their heart. They might call the other child a name. You big jerk, give me my toy back. They might go and punch the other child. Give me my toy. Or they might seek an opportunity for revenge. Quietly waiting for a moment to inflict pain on the other child to pay them back for what they've done. Whether it's a hot war or a cold war, anger revealed or anger hidden, each are an expression of murder, a desire to hurt someone else, a fellow image bearer of God, in order to get what they want. Sadly, we are often more like our children than we like to admit. We may not be fighting over toys anymore, but we still fight to get what we want, don't we? And in anger, we may murder others with our thoughts, our words, and our deeds. Third thing, is destructive words. Our words are powerful things. They have the power to bless or to curse, to give life or to take it. James 3 says it this way, And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father and with it we curse people who are made likeness and image of God. Notice those last words in that last verse. We use our words to curse or to hurt or to assault other people ...who are made in the likeness of God. Friends, our words are so powerful... ...and yet we so often toss them about so carelessly. Often our words are used to take life from others. Gossip and slander that destroy the reputation of other people. Insults that cut and stay with us for years. 
We use our words to heap guilt and heap shame upon those around us, using our words as tools of manipulation to get what we want, regardless of the suffering we may cause in the heart and minds of others. Words are powerful. Therefore, we must use them to give life rather than to take it. Fourth and last is physical, emotional, and sexual abuse. Now, this last one is a heavy one. But I believe it is encompassed in this command and therefore needs to be addressed. When we abuse those around us in all the forms that abuse can take, we are assaulting the very image of God in that person. Someone who God has made, we are destroying them or threatening to destroy them through our actions. In church, this ought not to be so. God alone is the Lord and giver of life. He has made each and every person in his image. And he delights in each and every person he has made. If you are here this morning and you are currently abusing someone. And I don't want to assume that there are people here who are not. Friends, there are things that go on inside the four walls of our home that some of us can't even imagine. If you are currently abusing someone or attempted to treat a fellow image bearer in this way. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. He sees and he will judge. He defends the widow. He defends the orphan and the defenseless and the weak. God does not bear the sword in vain. You will give an account for your actions. Turn from what you are doing and repent. If you are here this morning and you are suffering abuse of any kind or are in fear of abuse, please tell someone. Come to a pastor or a trusted friend. Go to the appropriate authority. It is the duty of your friends, of your neighbors, of your church... ...and all the governing authorities to come to your aid. And we are eager to do so. You do not have to suffer alone. Moving to our final point. We are not only to refrain from taking life in all of its forms. We are to be givers... Of life, givers of life. Point number three, givers of life. If murder is taking life from a fellow image bearer of God, then positively this command calls us to promote the well being of fellow image bearers of God, to promote their life and their flourishing. And this call to give life others is an overflow of the life that you and I have received in Christ. Hear Jesus' words from John 10 10 in your bulletin. The thief. He comes to only to steal and to kill and destroy, to take life. But I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. You see, Jesus didn't simply avoid taking life. He lived a life that promoted life in the lives of everyone around him. In fact, he gave his own life in our place so that we might have life and minister that life to others. Jesus, the Lord and giver of life, who is worthy of honor and glory, was mocked and hated, envied, slandered, and abused by others. He suffered all the forms of murder that we've talked about thus far. He was murdered in thought and word and deed. And ultimately, he was crucified for our transgressions. As one writer put it, Jesus had cause to defend himself and to seek vengeance... He had legions of angels at his command. Instead, Jesus gave himself, suffered in silent patience, loved and asked forgiveness of the very ones who executed him. He didn't kill, but died a victim of murder and so gives life. He died so that you and my, I might have life and have life 
abundantly. And it's his life that frees us from the wrath of God against our sin and frees us to be men and women, boys and girls who minister life to others in every sphere of our lives. As followers of Christ, rather than assaulting the image of God in others, we are called to restore that image. Rather than wounding others, we are to bring healing. Rather than oppressing others, we are to seek the liberty of those around us. So what might it look like for us to be givers of life rather than takers of life? There are four ways and they are the corollaries of the four that I shared before. The first is selfless ambition rather than selfish ambition. Selfless ambition is using our God-given abilities and drive to seek the good of others even at cost to ourselves. Philippians 2, describing the life of Christ, says it this way. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself... By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Friends, it is not weakness to place others above ourselves. It's actually a reflection of the heart of Christ, who as God took flesh to himself, suffered death in our place so that you and I might have life. Selfish ambition promises life. It promises that if you look out for yourself, you will have the life that you are desiring. But in fact, selfish ambition breeds nothing but death. Death to ourselves and death for those whom we climb over to get to the top. Christ's selfless love, it frees us to forgo the empty promises of selfish ambition. We don't have to fight to have the peace and the joy and the life that we think the top of the mountain will bring us. We already have it in the selfless love of Jesus Christ, which was given to us freely by faith. Therefore, we are free to use our gifts and our abilities in service to others, even when it comes at great cost to ourselves. The second area is gentleness rather than anger. Gentleness flows out of a heart of care for our fellow human beings... ...that are created in the image of God. Gentleness is an expression of tenderness... ...that recognizes our own sin... ...and the mercy that you and I have received. It recognizes that God could have rightly judged us. He could have poured out His wrath upon us... ...but He chose to pour out that wrath on Jesus instead. Rather than being objects of wrath... ...through Christ we are now objects of mercy. We are objects of God's love. We receive the abundant love and life of Jesus Christ. Therefore we are free to extend mercy... ...and tenderness and gentleness to those around us... ...even those who are our enemies. Third, we speak words of life... ...rather than words that bring destruction... Ephesians 4.29 says this, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Because of the grace and the goodness of God that we have received through Jesus Christ, we can now use our words rather than to tear down, we can use them to build. 
We can speak words that fit the, the occasion. We can use words that give grace to those that hear. Words of gratefulness and thankfulness, affection and encouragement. Words that point others to the love and the goodness of God in Christ Jesus. We have the opportunity rather than to tear down, to build up, to edify, to strengthen those around us. To give life rather than to take it. Lastly, we have the privilege of defending those who are the most vulnerable among us. God delights to protect those who cannot protect themselves. To be their refuge, to be their strength. And we have the joy and the privilege of partnering with God as we seek to love, protect, and extend mercy to those who are unable to protect themselves. All of these are ways in which we can give life to those around us. Because we already have the abundant life of Christ, we are free to give life to others rather than to take it. We are God's people and we have the privileges, privilege of ministering his love and life to those around us. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that we would be a people who know the abundant life that is ours in Christ Jesus. And I pray, Father, that we would therefore live countercultural lives, no longer to seeking to compete, to climb to the top of mountains that will never satisfy, rather living in the freedom that you give us, that you love us, and you love us abundantly in Christ. Therefore, Rather than taking life from others, we can give it to others, even at great sacrifice to ourselves. May we be this people, and as we live this way, may it point to your goodness and love in Christ Jesus. Amen.